All right, last week we finished our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. This morning we're doing an ordination service. This is, will be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the entire chapter. So if you feel like you may end up with a little bit of whiplash going from just doing one verse to doing an entire chapter, this is preparing you well for when we start the book of Job next week, which will be very large chunks of material, um, often, oftentimes one to two chapters at a time. I promise it'll be the same time frame. We'll still get out of here. It won't be that we're here till one. Um, it won't be 45 minutes a chapter. I, I promise. Uh, I will keep that promise. And so, um, but we're looking at 2 Corinthians 4 this morning. And the first section will be a charge to the candidates. Uh, Bill Tippins and Mark Start are candidates for elder. And then uh, Chris Byerly is a candidate for deacon. And so this doesn't mean that you don't get to pay attention during this section, by the way, um, even though it is a charge specific to them. But, but I want you to hear it so that you who may desire to be in leadership someday, uh, and it says in the scripture that if you, if you love the Lord, that should be your desire at some point. You should desire to lead in the church in some way, shape, or form. And so uh, I want you to hear it with those ears and also, too, how you can hold us accountable. We don't, get to, we don't have carte blanche. We don't have the, the will to power to do anything that we would want to do. We are to submit to the will of the Lord our God, and you are to hold us accountable to that for when we don't, when we're outside of the will of that. Um, we should not use our position to manipulate or to silence or to, um, or to suppress. And when we do, woe be unto us. Because then we are no longer the church. We are some other horrific institution that will someday be judged. It just so happens I'm in the book of Jeremiah right now. So that's kind of running through my veins. And so I'll try not to slip into that too much. Um, And so as we look at these things, the main thing that I want for us to walk away with, this key truth is that leaders of the church are jars of clay who will suffer for God's glory and your gain of life in Christ, but can endure as a result of the promise of the resurrection in Christ. Let me read that again, because it's really important. The leaders of the church are jars of clay who will suffer for God's glory and your gain of life in Christ, but can endure as a result of the promise of the resurrection in Christ. Let me open with a question that I think is really, really important for us to answer. Because if we don't know the answer to this question, then we are all kind of off base a bit. But what, what should be the main focus of church leaders according to the Bible? Not, not according to uh, business theory, not according to the, the, the culture of the time, not according to financial trends, but according to the Bible, what should be the main focus of the leaders of the church at all times in every decision they make. The glory of God. Interestingly, what should be the main focus of the congregants of a church in the name of Jesus Christ? The glory of God. And if we all had the same purpose, and we all understood that purpose and ran everything through that grid, the glory of God, How might things run? How might things work? How might we work better together instead of in opposition? Always wondering why we don't do certain things that we wish we would do or why we don't release certain amounts of information and and all these kinds of things that kind of plague us, right? That we're, we're suspicious. We've been suspicious of authority since the 60s and it's only gotten worse, right? That the whole culture is to not trust those in charge. 
And I know that it seems a little, I probably should have had somebody else preach this sermon so it didn't sound so weird coming from me, the guy that's trying to protect himself, right? I'm just, you're just trying to not get so many emails and all this kind of stuff. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a bad desire. Um, and so, so if we all had the same purpose, how would it change? And again, don't forget what we learned from the Lord's Prayer. And how even just last week, any situation we were walking into, if we were to first pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation as I enter into this, as I engage in this. Now, let me say on the other side that we who are in authority, and, and I'm using a more global we, have we not done some things that have sufficiently caused you to be suspicious? Oh, yes, we have. Yes, we have. And sometimes we do it accidentally, and sometimes we've done it quite on purpose. And so we're all trying to kind of figure this out. And so my hope for us at Christ Community Church is that our desire, our main focus would genuinely be to glorify the Lord our God. That we, as we step into any situation, would stop and go, how, how is this going to glorify God? Sometimes that means there needs to be conflict. Sometimes that needs, mean, means that there needs to be an argument had. I'm not above that. I'm not one who backs up much. And so, so sometimes there needs to be a wrestling. And we need people who are strong in their understanding of God's glory and Scripture to help hold us accountable. That's you. And we also need to be strong in our understanding of the Bible so as to understand the glory of God, so as to help you be accountable to the calling that you have in Christ alone. This is one of the main reasons that we're, we're not interested in creating more consumers. We're not interested in the cult of personality. This is why everything that we do will, that we ask the question, how will this program, whatever it is, Bible study, um, seminar, retreat, whatever it may be, how is this going to better equip the saints to better glorify God? That's the question we want to always ask. We don't want to come up with something because we think, man, this would attract more people. Man, we could really make some headway and start maybe challenging North Star, maybe even run them out of their building and just take over their whole campus. Um, you know, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in, in any way, shape, or form. What I want us to be able to do is to be able to glorify the Lord our God with the whole of our lives such that it brings you great joy, it brings God great joy, and it changes things. Amen? So if, if that's all of our focus, then I think we can actually accomplish some things. And so what are some things that actually distract from this focus? Like it's, it's important to know what the focus may be, but we also got to diagnose what may cause us to get off base. And so often what, what distracts us is, in, in fact, the will to power. And it comes in a variety of ways. Like I want more people. Because more people makes me look more powerful or it gives us more money or it gives us more, 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 more of something. No, more is not always better. It's just not. And my philosophy has always been, there's none of you that I cannot afford to lose and I, you cannot, and I, I, you can afford to lose me too. None of us is so critical to this that God would wring his hands and wonder what in the world is he ever going to do in Kennesaw, Georgia now that Christ's community is not what she should be. He is sovereign, and he chooses to use us, which is a beautiful thing, and amen, and I'm glad he's doing that. But 
We need not to ever think there's any one of us that's so critical a piece that this church couldn't survive without that one person. You all have already experienced, those of you who have been here for a number of years, you weathered this storm. You saw how good the Lord was that the losing of the lead pastor, even under the best of circumstances, Mike handled himself beautifully. It's still, there were times I'm sure people thought, I don't know if we're going to make it. Well, that's, that's an honest response, but it's also a faithless response, isn't it? Because the Lord, this is his church, not a man's church. It's not your church, it's not my church, it's no one's church. It's Christ's church that he died for. And that's critical for us to keep in perspective, isn't it? Because so often what happens where we get distracted is when someone starts to demand their own way. I want for things to work this way so that I am more comfortable here. Is God concerned for your comfort? I don't know if you know what we're going to do next, but Job's going to strike at the heart of that something ferocious. You may want to take about 13 weeks off and come back when we do Advent and Matthew. It'll be a whole lot easier, I promise you. It is not about what makes you comfortable. I don't know where we ever got the idea that being a Christian was ever about being more comfortable. Like we admitted last week, our lives only get harder when we confess these things, right? Especially in this culture, especially with each other. It only gets harder because now I can't just be mean to you. I can't say whatever I want. Now I'm held accountable to something. Now there's a reason why I should care about what happens to you. There's a reason why we should care for each other, the glory of God. And so as we step into this and as we're going to be ordaining new leaders, we've got to have that perspective, all of us. So uh, before we get into the text, I do want to read 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, because it's a critical, it'll help us understand the first part of 2 Corinthians 4. So if you would, hear God's word, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter that kills, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now let me... Just real quick, Cap, what he's saying. He's saying this ministry that we've been given is the ministry of life. And if what we're doing here as a church is not generating life more abundant, we need to shut the doors and go somewhere where it is. That's the only ministry that we're called to is to see life flourish and grow. When we're not doing that, it is the ugliest thing you've ever witnessed in your lives. Right? We've all seen it. And so Paul is saying this is the ministry. So as we step into 2 Corinthians 4, that becomes critical to to understanding the first part. But this chapter is being written because Paul is defending himself and the other disciples' ministries because they've come under attack. People are saying they're manipulating, they're lying, they don't have the pedigree, they don't have the calling. So people are trying to destroy the Corinthian church by infiltrating it with gossip. Let me ask you, does gossip destroy churches? Does the little fox that spoils the vineyard get that ferocious? You better believe it does. We have to be careful that we're not setting fires that we can never put out. And so Paul is defending himself. He's defending the disciples. And he's he's trying to make clear what the minister's calling is. And that's why I think it's an excellent text for us to look at this morning because he's declaring what is most important, and that's good for us. 
Now listen, at uh, 2 Corinthians, we'll take 4, 1 through 6 for the first chunk. This is the charge to you, the candidates. So uh, I want you to make sure that you're paying uh, attention to what's being said here and for you who will hold them accountable as they serve Christ Community Church. Listen to what God's word says. It says, therefore, having this ministry, which we just read about, the ministry of life and the spirit to the glory of God, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In the minds of the unbelievers, I'm sorry, in, the, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, he says, therefore, having this ministry. So it's really important for all of us as church leaders for us to recognize that the ministry that we have, for those of you who are candidates, for those of you who are serving as elders currently, for those of you who are deacons, any, any leadership position of any kind, it is absolutely critical that you recognize that the ministry that you have is the ministry of life in the spirit to the glory of God. That's it. There's nothing more than that, and there's nothing, no higher good. And so you have it, notice what the text says, by the mercy of God. So what does that tell us about what God thought about your superstar skill set? Is that, is that, did God look on me from eternity past and say, man, that dude can bring it. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to recruit him um, because he's never going to say anything that will make anybody mad. He's never going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. He's never going to lose his temper. He's never going to drift. He's never going to doubt. He's perfect. Is that what he said? Because I'm here to tell you that all what I just said is not true of me. I do doubt I do say the wrong thing at the wrong time. I do get it wrong often. I do get angry. I do sometimes speak when I should keep my mouth shut. Sometimes I'm silent when I should speak. Sometimes I don't care enough for you. I care more about me and retreat into darkness. If it were not for the mercy of God, I could not stand before you under any shape, form, or circumstance. Now, you may be questioning, did he just disqualify himself? You're assuming I was ever qualified. Um, and so it's really important that for all of us as leaders, it, it is by the mercy of God. Now, that's really important because most leaders, I don't think, understand that being a, a leader is a merciful thing. It is a heavy weight. And Paul's not going to lie to us about that, is he? And anytime as leaders we start groaning under the weight of the leadership that God has given us, we are questioning the sovereignty and the goodness and the mercy of God. Be very careful. There are times, yes, when the sheep grow teeth and they chew down, and there are times when the wolves come ravishing the congregation. There's times when Satan calls to sift you like wheat. You must remember that you have what you have because of the mercy of God. That you are a leader 
of the ministry of the life that is in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You're the minister of that by God's mercy alone. Don't you dare let Satan cause you to be confused that your leadership is somehow an albatross to you and your family. No, it is not. It is an act of God's mercy to call you. And it is that which will sustain you. And he he says, look at what Paul says. And he says, because of this, we do not lose heart. If you're starting to lose heart as a leader, then chances are you've lost sight of the mercy of God. And and we do it, don't we? I'm not mad at you if that's where you are, because I've been there. But remember, if you would, the mercy of God that he's given you this opportunity to lead his church in such a beautiful and amazing way, though it will press down on you like nothing you've ever known. And he goes on to say, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. I wish that were true. I wish that that all of the leaders of God's church could just take that phrase alone and just spend a year, a year examining themselves. And asking, Lord, what am I doing that's tampering with your word? Think about how many times, and some of you have experienced this, when a man of God is trying to force you to do something you don't want to do, and he uses God's word to paint you into the corner. Woe be unto us if we would ever do that to you. I don't try to talk anybody into doing anything anymore. Because that is tampering, that is underhanded, that is manipulative. Would that when we go into elders meetings and deacons meetings and congregational meetings, we as leaders would come humbled under the mighty hand of God according to 1 Peter 5, that we would be exalted in his time, not by our own words and not by our own cunning and not by our own manipulation. That we would not seek to make you go where we want you to go. Instead of following the shepherd who leads us and beckoning you to follow him as we follow him. See the difference. So often we are guilty, guilty, guilty of doing this exact thing. And would that we could repent. That we could be courageous enough to say, I am sorry. And I want to say to you, nothing comes immediately to my mind as I have served here at Christ Community Church. But if you have ever felt like I have in any way done something disgraceful or underhanded or sought to tamper with God's word or tried to manipulate you in any way, shape, or form, tried to push you with, uh, look like it was gently with my left while I pushed you hard with my right, forgive me. And if I have offended you, come talk to me. Because I want to repent of that and I want to know what I have done. All of us as elders and deacons should want for that. Because we may have done it and we just, we weren't even thinking. Maybe we hadn't humbled ourselves like we ought to. We are imperfect after all. But it doesn't excuse us from needing to repent. Amen? And so, as you come in, you must renounce the ways of the world. If you're going to serve this church well, we can't manipulate We can't, even when we have something in our hands that we could say, this would change things. The end justifies the means. Look at all the good that we could do if we just just manipulated this one thing. 
as if God, who is sovereign over all things, needs for us to renounce our obedience to him in this one thing, to make something happen, woe be unto us. We must renounce those things, but look what we must turn to. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We as leaders must be transparent. We have to. Now, there's some things that as leaders we can't tell everyone, but we got to tell someone. And there's things as leaders that we can't keep from the congregation because we think it could cause a stir, and we just don't want to fool with causing a stir because we're busy. No, we must, by the open statement of truth, commend ourselves to your conscience. You must know exactly who we are. Have we done that perfectly? No. No. All we can do is grow in that and take this truth and seek to continue to apply it to ourselves and long for better than what we've done. And it goes on to say, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is their image. Now, there's a lot in that phrase that I can't unpack in toto this morning. But the point of it being there is this. As leaders, you're not going to manipulate anybody into heaven anyway. If they're veiled, you're not going to unveil them by technique, by argumentation, by apologetic, by some other underhanded. We're, we're not going to fake a few baptisms and all of a sudden people come running to the Lord and it be genuine. We cannot manipulate people into heaven. That's good news for us because that sets us free as leaders to do the ministry we were called to and to be able to do it boldly, openly, Commending ourselves to the conscience of everyone here. Amen. Now, there's a whole host of other questions about the devil being able to blind those who are perishing, and that's for another day. We'll actually get to that when we talk about Job. And so he goes on to say from there, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, there was a minister, an African-American minister, in Macon at Macedonia Baptist Church. And the thing I loved about this guy was, one, he could sing in the middle of the sermon, which I cannot do, and you don't want. But two, his, his title was lead servant Eddie Smith. I love that he, even in his title, which is not common oftentimes in that cultural church world, by the way, and, and he always made sure that everyone knew, I am the lead servant. I am here to serve you in the name of Christ and serve the Lord our God. And I loved him for that. And would oftentimes stay up late at night watching him on the local religious channel, which Susan questioned what I was doing. And so would that we would have the same mindset that, that this is not our ministry. This is not our church. We are here to promote Christ and Christ alone through God's grace alone by your faith alone. That is all we are to promote for the glory of God. And when we promote ourselves, we are in trouble. Now let me, let me say this. If you ever find a CameronDBarhamMinistries.com website, 
Try, do, somebody try to bring it down. Hack the stew out of that thing and come and try to lovingly bring me back to my sanity. Because the cult of personality is one of the most destructive things in all of our culture. Not just the church, but our entire culture. And so woe be unto us when we make it about us. We should always make it about Christ. And we should always be the lead servants that we would be the ones who would evidence our love for the church and for Christ and how we serve. Amen? So he goes on to say, For it is God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, this is creation language. And what he's saying is, You have been transformed. If you are in Christ as a leader, as a servant, one who called to being an elder or deacon or any other leadership position, you have been transformed and you are no longer your own. You cannot continue to operate in your own strength. You cannot continue to operate in your own desires and wants. You are changed. And that is what we should walk in. And that is my charge to you as you are coming on to the session and to the diaconate, is that you would always remember where your, what your ministry is, where it came from, the mercy of God, how it will hold you fast, what you are to promote and how, and that you would always remember you are a changed and transformed being to specifically be a servant to the Lord our God. Not fighting for your own way, not creating disunity for your own personality, for your own gain, for your own platform. And I am not loving you well as your lead pastor if I let you do that. And you're not loving me well if you let me do that. Let's turn back to the text, verses 7 through 12. This is a charge that I would give to the congregation to remember. Let me make one quick point, an asterisk point. It's going to sound a little bit like um, when millionaires whine about being too rich. Um, it, it comes off weird, right? So it, it, if we in ministry are like, hey, guys, remember, it's tough on us. Make sure you print. Don't be ugly to us. Bake us cookies. Um, <laughs> We, we were chosen for this, and we chose also to receive the calling that we have. And so I don't want you to hear this as me whining and trying to stack the deck to get you to stop, you know, to be nicer to us or anything like that. But I do want you to understand and, and charge you as a congregation to remember what it is that we, when we do our job well, when we follow God well, when we seek to glorify God well, Satan is utterly unhappy, and he will do everything he can to destroy one of us. Because flattening your tire to keep you from coming to worship is not what Satan does. He doesn't make the toner go out in your fax machine when you needed it not to. Um, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He always tries to get the most bang for his buck. And where do you get the most bang for your buck? Take out the lead guy. Take out one of the lead. Get the leaders to turn on themselves and the whole thing blows apart. Are there not evidences in church history of what I'm saying? And so, as we turn to the text, keep that in mind. We're not just millionaires whining. But we have this treasure, which is the glory of God, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus." 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in your bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, so that life would be at work in you. Now, First, let's deal with the fact that this treasure, this glory of God is contained in jars of clay. There's a couple of different possible interpretations of what jars of clay truly are. Um, And I think both are appropriate. Oftentimes what you hear is is that the jars of clay are, you know, they're fragile, they could blow apart, and, and, you know, so we got to be handled with care. But according to Scripture, if you were to read in Jeremiah, and if you think about where were all the manuscripts found, jars of clay. Why? Because the message could be preserved for a long, long time. It would ensure that the message would continue to go forward. So an aspect of us being called jars of clay is that we are the containers that the Lord has fashioned in his sovereignty and in Christ's image to contain the truth, to protect the truth for a long, long time. Now, why is that good news to us, and what does that have to do with charging you, the congregation? Well, how that charges you, the congregation, is one, to remember that though um, we are sinners saved by grace, we're also jars of clay who are fortified by the Lord our God. You don't have to handle us lightly. You can come to us when you have something. That's what we're here for. You can bring your concerns. You can bring your confusions. You can bring your doubts. You can bring your hurts. You can bring your needs to us. We're not going to just fracture and blow apart because you come and say, hey, I just read about superlapsarianism. What the world? We're not going to blow apart because you come to us and say, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. We're not going to blow apart because you come to us and say, I'm not sure that my marriage is going to make it. We're not going to blow apart because you come to us and you say, I've embezzled some money from the company. I'm getting fired. I need, I don't know what to do. We're not going to blow apart because you come to us and say, I don't understand how God can be good and there be suffering in the world. So you have the liberty. Please come to us. This is what we are here for, to serve you in this way. But in the same token, it does make it very clear that we are going to get beaten down. If death is at work in us so that life would be at work in you, I don't know if you are like excited about, like, yeah, I'd love to be a leader. How, how can I get death to be at work in me? How can I be perplexed and get the junk kicked out of me? How can I just get beat down? That sounds awesome. Is there a class on coming up? Do understand that we take a lot. And we have a lot coming at us from a lot of different ways that you don't know anything about because we don't breathe a word of it to protect both you and whoever is doing it. And we also have a lot on us because Satan himself couldn't take out Jesus. And according to Revelation 12, he is coming hard after those who profess faith in Christ. And he seeks to destroy and kill. Remember, Satan's not looking for followers. He's looking for food. And so it's critically important that you remember that we can take it, but at the same time, we're taking a lot. And so how might you um, minister to us well? How, How might you help us stay healthy so that we don't drown? 
Because we're human too, though we be earthen vessels. We are very human. And this is why it's critical. You've heard me talk about the Sabbath. This is why it's critical for you to help me protect my Sabbath. If I don't have that one day a week where I am not, I'm nothing more than a worshiper of the Lord my God, where I step away from the responsibilities that it means to be a pastor, I am not going to make it. If you want to see me burned up and you want to see me ground down to nothing, then don't hold me accountable to the Sabbath. Don't hold me accountable to prayer. Don't hold me accountable to my own devotion. Don't hold me accountable to loving my family well. Don't hold me accountable to loving the other leaders well. You want to see me burn, then don't do any of that. You want to see them burn? You want to see them ground down to nothing? Don't hold them accountable either. But if you want to see the glory of the Lord continue in these earthen vessels, and yours too, and that it would be bright and glorious and beautiful, then remember the death that we carry in us so that there would be life in you. So what is the cost of being a leader in a church? Again, I know I sound like the whining millionaire, right? You know, you get to stand up there and talk to people every week. That's, I'd love to do that. No, you wouldn't. You don't want to be worthy of the double judgment that cuts both ways from both man and from God. You don't want the gathered crowd like you think you do. When people say stuff like that, it makes me, makes me realize you don't know what you're talking about. Ministry is a bone grinding mill. It just is. It wears on families. It wears on men. It wears on you. It wears on us all if we're not careful. And so we got to keep and recognize there is a cost. Right? We don't like talking about suffering. Again, we'll dive into that in Job for 13 weeks. Those who are doing the first Peter study, you're going to get a double dose. You may want to Get some counseling in the middle of all that. <laughs> Set it up now. You're going to need it. Um, but but we, we just don't believe in suffering like we ought because it says very clearly, if Jesus suffered the way he did, why would you think you're better than him? Why would you think if, if they hated what he had to say, they're not going to hate what you got to say because you're saying it in his name. So help us stay healthy, would you? Help us to remember what the main thing is. Because remember, the gain that we get is life in you. And I can think of no better thing than to see, you. and one of the things I love the most is when the light bulb starts going off for you. When, when something has moved you, when something has caused you to go and seek forgiveness after a sermon on forgiveness. When something causes you to, to recognize in greater measure the glory of the Lord, what I would love to be able to celebrate is someone coming to Christ more than anything. And so I'm willing to suffer for that because that is the highest good. There's no greater call. And so I would ask you a rhetorical question that I would say, think on. How can you encourage all of leadership? When I'm the only one you encourage, that, that is contributing to the cult of personality. You really ought to thank the deacons, as many of them are part of the chairs that you're sitting in, comfortable though they may be. That's not their fault. But they set up and they tear down, they're away from their families, um, even for a little bit. And you may say, well, I mean, you know, from eight to ten, ain't that hard? 
Yeah, but it wears on you over time in those moments that you're away from your family and you're not able to help your wife get the kids ready to be able to come to church and she feels like a quasi-single mom. Thank your deacons for all that they do. And as they oversee the Mercy Fund and have been very generous, we've told some people no, by the way, and have still spent 25000 over the last year, which has been beautiful. God's glory is all over that. Thank the elders for the way in which they continue to keep me on track and for the way in which that they continue to love this church and ask good and hard questions every single elders meeting as we seek to equip you, the saints, for the glory of the Lord. Don't just thank me. Make sure that you thank all of them and you encourage each of them and that you don't put them in a bad place by going to them and saying, hey, could you deliver a message to Cameron for me? The joke was that the, what we would love to see is somebody like cut out letters and give us an anonymous. Like if you go to that much trouble, you cut out the letters and you send like an anonymous, I'll respect that. I'd love to, I'll receive that. But you trying to second hand, third hand, fourth hand, get some message to me, I don't respect that. And I'm not gonna listen to it. If you can't practice Matthew 18, it doesn't exist. If you can't be biblical, I'm not gonna be unbiblical and help you out. So, help us, love us well, so that there can be greater life in you. Listen to what Richard Pratt says um, in his commentary in First and Second Corinthians. He says, Paul did not want the Corinthians to forget that they had benefited from the sufferings of the ministers of the gospel. The pain and trials endured by Paul and others made it possible for the Corinthians to have eternal life in Christ. Those who suffered brought the gospel to the church, teaching and leading the church. The Corinthians should have realized that their new life in Christ came at the cost of suffering by those who ministered to them. And I know what you're thinking. Cameron, did you work like an hour and a half a week, right? I hear you're at the coffee shop all the time, being missional, whatever. Uh, you, you know, I, I get that you, you think that, that I don't work a real 40-hour week. If you have any questions, just ask my wife if it's a true 40-hour week. Ask my wife how much I'm gone. If you have any questions. If you ever wonder what I do, I, I, I've got a Google Calendar. I'll print it off for you. I'll be happy to tell you how I pour myself out. And I'm not celebrating me right now. I'm just, if there's any question, if it's causing you to stumble in any way, shape, or form, you got a question, come ask. I'm an earthen vessel. I can take it. And so make sure we're encouraging one another. Let me give a final charge to us all before I bring the men up. This is verses 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Was we also believe and so we also speak. Now here he's quoting Psalm 110 verse 6, which is about suffering and declaring one's faith. He goes on to say, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The primary encouragement that we should all have, both as leaders and congregants, is that Christ's work is finished. That's really important for us to know and understand because the church now can work out of the finishedness of Christ's work. Amen? There's not a a work for us to do that's up for grabs. Christ's resurrection ensures that all who know him, all of us, leader and congregant alike, will be risen with him. In newness of life, all things made new, all of the distractions, all of the separations, all of the tears, everything gone that is a barrier to the glory of God. And at long last, we will witness, not through the mirror half darkly, but in clarity. So that should encourage us to be able to love one another well. For us as ministers to be able to serve well and for you as congregants to receive well the life that is being granted and given and offered. So it is in the power of the resurrection that we who are sons and daughters can do the actual mission of the church, which is that the glory of God would go forward, making the family bigger so that more and more would give thanks for God. How many of you read the Arian Foster deal on ESPN? Uh, Many of you did because I saw you post about it and I even had a few folks call me about it. Arian Foster basically went from being agnostic to now he is an open, um, he he doesn't believe. He's not disrespectful about it. He's not a radical anti-theist like I was, um, but he doesn't believe. And ESPN was kind of lauding this article. I mean, it was like the front page is like a big deal. Arian Foster declares he doesn't believe in God as if that's news. I don't know what the, the, the sports week was like, but that's what we got. And so... So I want to see Arian Foster recant and praise God if he could. I want to see Arian Foster come to know the Lord our God. I want to see see it backed up and different. Because I know what Christ can do in his finishedness and his finished work and his goodness. So the goal is to see the kingdom get bigger, not just the church grow inward, not just the church grow laterally, but to grow because people are coming to Christ. So often I have people come to me and say, you know, Cameron, there's just not a whole lot for us to do here at Christ Community. There's just not a lot to do. And I want to, here's what I want to do. I know I, Greg's just got very uncomfortable. Um, and some other people are like, oh God, what's he fixing to do? <laughs> Great question. There's a part of me that wants to sweep my hand out at the world and say, are you kidding me? This great world that God created, filled with those who don't know him, who deny his glory. And you tell me there's not enough to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take and make some certificates. And I'll put your name on them. And I'm going to commission you. I'm going to pray for you right on the spot. Maybe the elders will get involved if they're, if they're not freaked out by what I'm doing. And we're going we're gonna to release you to share the gospel, share the glory of God with your neighbors, your co-workers, the people on your kid's swim team, the people on your kid's lacrosse team, the people on your kid's underwater basket weaving team. Whatever it is, wherever you are, wherever there are unbelievers with the glory of God is blinded to them, I release you 
to serve. So if you want something to do, I got plenty for you to do. And I'll bring you up, we'll pray for you, we'll put your picture on the website. That's what you want. But what we, and I'm, that's somewhat in jest, people are like, are you kidding? I'm like, eh, we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> Wes was like real nervous about it. He's like, I don't know if you're kidding or not. But I kind of am not, because seriously, think about it. For us to say there's, no, there's not enough platforms for us to talk about ourselves, like what, what do you need me to get 10 people that already agree with you into a room for? Why do I need to gather a crowd for you to feel good about your Christianity? When you have this great big old world that the Lord said, go, go into it in all of its beauty and terror and share the glory of God. Amen? So as we close, listen to what Charles Hodge in First and Second Corinthians says uh, in his commentary. The apostle here is exulting in the... Uh, the apostle is here exulting in the assurance that however persecuted and downtrodden here we are, God who raised up Jesus would raise him up and present him with all the other believers before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This it was that sustained him and has sustained many others of the afflicted of God's people and given them a peace which passes all understanding. We are either living in the resurrection or we are living in death. What is the goal of this church? What is our hope? The goal better be sharing the glory of God and our hope better be the resurrection of Christ. So as we close out, what should we learn from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 18? Number one is that the leaders of the church are given the ministry of Christ alone by God's mercy alone for God's glory alone. Those alones are critical, critical. The leaders are but jars of clay filled with the treasures of God's glory who suffer so that the members of the church might have greater life in Christ. Third, because of the assurance of the resurrection, we all can endure whatever may come so that more will come to know God's glory and life in Christ. And to that I would say, Amen in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.